as we continue our Christmas theme during the season of Advent, why did Jesus appear? It's interesting in, in John's first letter, not only does he write about the Word becoming flesh and dwelling among us in his Gospel of John, but also in his letters. He talks about Jesus appearing, and the same word, I remember a seminary professor mentioning, appears three times in chapters 3 and 4 of 1 John. The, the letter is phanerao, and it means to make manifest. It means to appear, to uncover that which was hidden. Why did Jesus appear? What was uncovered? What did he make possible? What did he make when he was made manifest? And it's in these verses. I'm going to read verses 4 through 10 of chapter 3 of 1 John, and then verses 7 through 9 of chapter 4. This is what John writes in much simpler language than in his gospel. 1 John 3, verse 4. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness because sin is lawlessness. You know that, here it is, he appeared, Phanerao, to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has either seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who does right is righteous as he is righteous. He who commits sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Here's the second. The reason the Son of God appeared, Phanerao, was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God commits sin, for God's nature abides in him. He cannot sin because he is born of God. By this it may be seen who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not do right is not of God, nor he who does not love his brother. And then over to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And he who is born of God and knows God, he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest, phanerao, among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the expiation, the, the atonement, the payment for our sins. Chapter 3, verse 5, verse 8, chapter 4, verse 9, the same word tells us three separate reasons why Jesus appeared. Let's bow together. Father, as we come today to worship you, we have every reason to sing and make merry at Christmas because of what Jesus did. So let us never lose sight of what Christmas is about. Thank you for sending Jesus who appeared, forgave us of our sins, destroyed the works of the devil, and gave us life. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Do you love Christmas movies? I love any kind of Christmas movies. I, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but I even watch the Hallmark Channel at Christmas. Um, but my favorite Christmas movies are the classics. You've got Miracle on 34th Street, both the old black and white and the new color version. Um, it's a Wonderful Life, Jimmy Stewart, Donna Reed. I love every Christmas carol that's ever been produced, um, especially George C. Scott. He's great in the Christmas carol. I, I even love Mr. Magoo's Christmas carol. I grew up watching Mr. Magoo. It has a good story too. 
But in the Christmas carol, nephew Fred comes in to Scrooge's counting house and says, Merry Christmas, Uncle. And Scrooge says, Bah! What? Humbug. Come then, Uncle, what right have you to be dismal? You're rich enough. Scrooge says, Well, then what right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. As if money had something to do with being dismal or merry. It has nothing to do with that. Being merry at Christmas has everything to do with what God did for us in Jesus when he appeared here on earth. We have every right to be merry at Christmas because of what Jesus did when he came into our world. And John tells us in his first letter that there are three things when he appeared that Jesus made possible. And the first thing that he says in chapter 3, verse 5, you know that when he appeared, that he appeared to take away our sins and in him there is no sin. You want to know why you have every right to be merry at Christmas? Because Jesus made it possible for your sins to be forgiven, for those sins to be taken away. Jesus appeared to remove our sins, to stand against sin, and in him there is no sin because when God created us, he created us in perfect fellowship with him, but our sin caused a separation between us and God because God is so holy and righteous and perfect. When sin entered into our world and into our hearts, God could not countenance, he could not look upon us because his sin, our sin was so distasteful, so hateful, so loathing to him. He could not be in the same company as those who had sin in their lives. And so what did God do? He sent Jesus to appear in our world to offer us forgiveness of sin because we could have never done it by ourselves. If we don't appreciate what God did for us by taking away our sins, then we have underestimated our sin in God's presence. God is so perfect and our sin is so ugly. The two could never be associated or mix whatsoever. Billy Sunday was uh, an evangelist in the early part of the 20th century. And he had a pretty good attitude towards sin. He said this in his sermon, I am against sin. I'll kick it as long as I have a foot. I'll fight it as long as I have a fist. I'll bite it as long as I have teeth. And when I am old and footless and toothless and fistless, I'll gum it until I go home to glory. Amen? That is how much Billy Sunday hated sin. If we don't hate sin like that, then we have compromised we have accommodated the sin in our lives. In this season of the year, when we are released from our sins, this should be a source of great joy for us. Jesus says, do not compromise with sin. Do not give it any quarter in your lives. Don't dance around it. Don't play with it. I sometimes think of sin as playing with fire. What happens when you play with fire? You get burned. What happens when you play with sin? You get burned. You begin to toy with it and you say, that doesn't look quite so bad. I don't know why God told me not to do that. I don't know why that's so wrong. And you begin to, to look at it and it becomes more and more pleasing to the eye. And, and you begin to dabble in it. And before you know it, it's like that sin has stuck its toe in your heart and then its foot and then its leg and then its whole body, the body of sin is, is wrapped inside your heart. And and there's only forgiveness 
for God in Jesus Christ. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he who knew no sin was made to be sin. That's what happened to Jesus on the cross. He was perfect and he was made to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God imputed to Jesus on the cross all the sins of the world that we have ever done or ever will do. And Jesus carried that burden on the cross. And when he died and when his blood was shed, it gave forgiveness. If we will believe and confess our sin and admit our need and receive it. And if we can't be merry at Christmas, then we don't understand how terrible our sin is to God and what he did about our sin when Jesus appeared. That's the first thing Jesus did in 1 John 3, 5. But here's the second thing. The same Greek word is used. He who commits sin is of the devil. Verse 8. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared, here's the second reason Jesus came, was to destroy the works of the devil. He destroyed the works of the devil. The word destroy there means to render ineffective, to make totally Useless. The works of the devil were undermined and undercut, and Satan was destroyed when Jesus appeared in our world. Jesus came and he just dealt Satan not only a knockout blow, he dealt him a death blow. And Satan, the, the war is over. There are just minor skirmishes that still continue in our world because of the power that Satan has here, but he has already been defeated. And you need to remember that, and you need to stand in the light of that truth, that God has already been victorious, Satan has already been overcome, and he is dead, and he is dying. And we're just waiting for those death throes of Satan to stop. I love the story about the missionary, and I think he was in South America, and he came home from the field one day and found a python draped inside his house. So he ran back outside and got the pistol out of his truck and came back in and got close enough to the python to put a bullet in its head. And the python was killed, but it didn't die instantly. You know what snakes do when you kill them? They, they writhe around, they wiggle, they, they, they destroy, and this python, it, in its death throes, it created such havoc, it began thrashing around, and it knocked things off the counter, and it, it broke things. And so the missionary just backed outside for a few minutes until he heard it silent inside, and he went back inside his house, and he found the mess that that python had created. Jesus, when he died on the cross, he put a bullet in Satan's head. Satan is already defeated. But you and I know the devil. He is still thrashing around. He is still wreaking havoc. He is still causing damage and hurt and pain and suffering in our world. And he is, Satan is a father of lies. And he is lying to you right now. And to all anyone who will listen, he's saying, God didn't win. I won. And, and I, don't, I don't want you to listen to God. You're good enough to go to heaven by yourself. You don't, have to, you don't have to do anything to go to heaven. Just, just work hard. You can earn your salvation if you just work 
hard enough. You don't have to worry about going to hell. There's, that's a long time off. God's going to take care of you. The road to heaven is broad and there are many ways to get there. So enjoy yourself. Any religion is fine. Just believe anything you want to as long as you're sincere and you can go to heaven. He is the father of all those lies telling you there's plenty of time. And he, he wants, what he really wants to do is take as many of us to hell with him as possible because misery loves company. Satan is dead. He is already defeated. He is just thrashing around, telling lies, propagating confusion, and trying to take as many of us with him to hell as possible. This is what the Bible says. The Bible says, now is the acceptable day of the Lord. Now is the acceptable hour of your salvation. Do not harden your heart to God. Do not believe the lies of the devil. He is dead. He is defeated. He is thrashing around in his death throes. And he is causing as much damage and wreaking as much havoc as possible to take as many of us with him to hell for all eternity. God says, he's been defeated. Believe in me. Be forgiven of your sins. The works of the devil were destroyed when the Son of God appeared. That's the second thing Jesus did when he appeared. The third thing is in 1 John 4. It's the same nine, the same uh, in the Greek word, but it's translated a little bit differently in verse 9. It says this, the love of God was made manifest. You could translate those other verses made manifest. Or this one appeared among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that what? We might live through him. I think there are a lot of people in the world today who think they are alive, but guess what? Apart from Jesus Christ, they are not really alive. They might be eating and drinking and sleeping and working, but they're just existing. They're just going through the motions because only in Jesus can we really be alive. He came that we might have life and have it in all of its abundance. God loves you. God created you. God sent Jesus to appear on earth so that you could have a relationship with him. Why would you not trust him and desire that relationship that God made possible in Jesus Christ. He appeared to forgive us of our sins, to destroy the works of the devil, and to give us life. So many people are looking for life, but they're doing it in all the wrong places. It reminds me of a story of a drunk who was out on the sidewalk one day on his hands and knees, obviously looking for something, scouring around on the, on the sidewalk, looking and, and somebody happened by and said, can I help you? Did, or did you? Yeah, the man said, yes, I lost something. I lost my wallet. And so this man got down and, and he helped him look and they looked and looked for several minutes. And finally, the man asked the drunk guy, he said, are you sure you lost it here? And the drunk guy said, no, I lost it way over there, several blocks down. And the man said, well, then why in the world are you looking for it here? And he said, because there's no street light over there. People are looking for life where there is no light. Jesus is the light. Jesus 
is the light of the world. And God came to give you light, to give you life. And apart from him, there is none. There is no life apart from God in Jesus Christ. Because you are just living, just existing without him and what he makes possible. Jesus came to bring you life. Every one of you personally can have life in the light of man who is Jesus Christ. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus doesn't tell us the truth. He doesn't point to the truth. He is the truth. He is the light. He is the life. And Satan will say, no, there's a lot of different ways to get to heaven. Jesus says, no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the life. So John tells us when Jesus appeared, he did at least three things, probably several others. But three very important things Jesus did is he offered forgiveness of sins. It's not automatic. You have to confess your sins, humble yourself, and admit that you're a sinner, and invite Jesus into your heart to forgive you and cleanse you and be your Lord and Savior. He came to destroy the works of the devil. Think if Jesus hadn't come to do that, the devil's power would be manifest all over the world. As it is, there is violence and there are wars and there are rumors of wars and all kinds of bad things happening because Satan still has power in the world, but it is limited and he has been ultimately defeated already. And he came to give us life. So you and I don't have to just wake up and go to work and go home and wake up and go to work and go home or whatever we do. We can have life in the one who loved us so much he created us and gave us Jesus to have a relationship with him. A father was tired of all the rigmarole and confusion that had gotten combined with the Christmas festivities. He was tired of that and he said, he set his family down before the Christmas dinner and he said, folks, we're going to settle down. We're going to slow down. We're going to turn off the TV. We're going to turn off the cell phone and the computers. We're going to talk to each other. We're going to not get so wrapped up in all the, fest, all the um, accents of Christmas, all the details. We're going to spend time with each other and talk to one another and make it a simple Christmas. We're going to make this the best Christmas ever. To which his younger son piped up and asked, Dad, do you really think we could improve on the first one? We can't. We could have the second best Christmas ever, but the first best Christmas was the one when Jesus appeared to make it possible for you and me to be forgiven of our sins, for Satan's works to be ultimately destroyed, and for us to have life in him right now and eternal life in the world to come. He did those three things, at least those three things for us when Jesus came. He gave us everything we ever need if we believe and confess and live for him. That's why we can have a Merry Christmas. 
And so I say, God bless us, everyone. Let's bow together. God, whatever we needed, you gave at Christmas. And the three most pressing needs you met immediately by Jesus' birth and his death on the cross and his resurrection. By his death on the cross, you gave us forgiveness of sins. And by his resurrection, you defeated death and you destroyed Satan and all of his works were undone. And you gave us life, not just eternal life when we die, but abundant life that can begin right here, right now. When we admit our need and humbly confess our sins and ask Jesus to come in and cleanse us and forgive us. God, we are a needy people, a distrustful people, a hurting people. Help us believe and know that you created us, that you love us, and you desire only the best for us. Always have and always will. That you are truth and we can build our lives and find forgiveness for our past and hope for our future in the foundation that is Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.